You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans. Welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your headset whenever you choose to consume it, be it when it comes out, which lately has been the afternoon which I apologize, or the next day, which, I mean, that's fine. You can totally do that. I'm not here to dictate what you do with this podcast once you download it. I just thank you for downloading it. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews, and we have a chock-full edition of the Monday Musings podcast. We're going to talk about the White Sox and Blue Jays series in the second half of today's episode, but... We need to begin today with the news that broke earlier today from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic that the Toronto Blue Jays are trying to trade Roberto Osuna. Uh, Osuna obviously has been suspended for domestic violence issues. He's been suspended under the personal conduct policy. And Rosenthal tweeted out very early today that uh, he's gotten reports from rival executives saying Osuna's on the market. Osuna's been rehabbing since mid-July. And <laughs> this this is an interesting question. You, you, you don't want to make light of the fact that, you know, this is a person who is awaiting trial for domestic violence. And he's being shopped around like it's it's no big deal. Sadly, that's par for the course in MLB. But we will try to discuss this from a purely baseball standpoint. What does this accomplish for the players? Well, for the Blue Jays, it is probably the most attractive piece that they are willing to move. There have been reports that teams are asking about Stroman. I'm sure Sanchez has been brought up. But neither of those guys seem like candidates to move because they'll still have retained their value when the Blue Jays are expecting to contend again, which will be, you know, 2020, hopefully. But Osuna, as as a guy who has been kind of wavering a bit, he burst onto the scene as a closer as a 20-year-old and, and was a big part of that 2015-2016 run. But there have been signs that Osuna has not been effective as he once was, and that's before he revealed himself to be a garbage person. But remember last year when Osuna was playing around with his pitches, was trying to develop like that cutter, and it kept getting hammered, and everyone was like, stop throwing the cutter, Roberto. And he wouldn't do it. And looking at it at the time, I thought it was because his fastball velocity was down. And, you know, you put a lot of strain on a younger arm like that, you wonder about their ability to maintain the kind of velocity that makes them successful. And it looked like Osuna was already starting to tinker and try and get more of a deception to maintain his closer status. I mean, that's that's nothing new. Trevor Hoffman, who just went into the Hall of Fame, didn't become that elite closer until he developed the heck out of his circle changeup, which was so effective at just neutralizing batters. So... I, again, that was that was something it was thought Osuna was just working on that to be closer. But if the Blue Jays thought at the time that maybe it's a sign that Osuna will not be the closer by the time the team is ready to contend again, 
plus, again, you throw in the revelations this year that Roberto Osuna is garbage. And he will continue to be garbage unless he starts making amends for it. Showing some actual growth out of the situation rather than just denying everything. He will continue to be a garbage person on this podcast. But it provides the Blue Jays an opportunity to maybe see what they can get on a relief market that is cluttered with options, but doesn't really have that elite option anymore, especially with the trade of Zach Britton to the Yankees and Brad Hand to Cleveland. Now, if you take Osuna to a team like Houston, who didn't get in on that reliever market, or maybe to a team like Philadelphia, who's seen Sir Anthony Dominguez and, and uh, well, they already ran through Hector Neris, but Sir Anthony Dominguez has been flagging a little bit lately, and Victor Ayano, I believe, is their other closer in Philly, but there's not real solidity there. They don't have that veteran option at the back end of that Philly pen. So you can turn around to these teams and offer a young controllable arm like Roberto Osuna and extract a heavy fee and, and try and get uh, that rebuild really kicked into high gear. And you, like you, we talked about the Phillies before and like the cachet of prospects they have. And Ross Atkins said that they were basically done acquiring position players at the moment. You wonder if Roberto Osuna, sadly, is worth a guy like a Sixto Sanchez, who is thought of as Phillies' top prospect. Maybe at this point he's not going to get that, but still, you get guys like. Uh, Jojo Romero, who's come up, he's a he's a lefty for the organization. He's at Double A reading. He's got a really nice fastball. He's got a variety of pitch pitches. He could be a starter candidate, but he's still young, so he's still learning. So he wouldn't be ready immediately. But he is a guy who Osuna could theoretically draw back and trade. So if you look at players like that. Osuna is going to be the best. Like Tyler Clippard's not going to get a prospect like that. John Axford's not going to get a prospect like that. Curtis Granderson's not going to get a prospect like that. And maybe they package those two together. But for MLB, he becomes the prime target, a young controllable arm. And they're only going to see a young controllable arm. They're not going to see the problems off the field because, again, this is a league where Aroldis Chapman is an all-star and doesn't get booed until he throws 16 out of 19 pitches for balls. So to move on from Osuna like this, I'm entirely in favor of it. I've said on this podcast before that I would be happy to see Roberto Osuna leave this organization and again, prove himself worthy of not being called a garbage person in the future. And I think for the Blue Jays to get a guy of Romero's caliber. Now, granted, looking through Houston, you you wonder if they really have the capita anymore. They've been they've been spending out for the past couple years. I don't think a guy like Forrest Whitley is on the radar, nor a guy like Cianel Perez, I think both those guys have been mentioned as call-ups for the Astros, maybe to help that bullpen. But instead, you look at a guy like J.B. Bukowskis, who was their first-round pick last year, 
Um, he could be a guy for the future. Um, MLB has his ETA at 2020, so he would be right in line with where the Blue Jays are looking to contend. He's already progressed up to uh, A-level ball in just his first year. So Bukowskis is a guy who's kind of kind of moving up quickly. And I, again, because Osuna is young and controllable and has a track record, he would be the guy to use to get pieces like that. Or even if you do want to get another prospect like Kyle Tucker or something, Osuna is going to be the piece that does that. It fixes a headache for the Toronto organization by getting him out of town. And there's really no downside to it for them. There, there's arguably the downside of sweeping the problem under the rug because, again, back when they made their initial announcement of Osuna's suspension and Osuna's issues, the statement they put out was kind of weak, and <laughs> trading Osuna doesn't really help address those. But it it's good for the organization from the standpoint that it helps contend in the future. It it removes a headache. It removes a problem. It removes a garbage person from that locker room. And for for MLB, like it, it doesn't really do anything to them because it it's the same or it's the same reputation. Like I said, Chapman's still pitching. So to see Roberto Osuna go, I I would be a little sad because that would be another piece of the 2015-16 teams gone. But at the same time, again, as I mentioned throughout this entire first half, he is a garbage person, and I like getting young, controllable starting pitching. So that's where that is. So let's talk about some happier things. Let's talk about the White Sox series right after this break. And we're back. Sorry about that. Those pretzels were making me thirsty. So after getting shellacked, in back-to-back-to-back games by the Twins, the Blue Jays headed out on the road for three games with the perpetually rebuilding Chicago White Sox. And it was a mixed bag of results. Toronto got 2-3, of three, which honestly is a disappointment. They look better than they did in the Baltimore series. Maybe the slight uptick in competition helped them out. But... Well, let, let's talk about the good things first. First, in in the first day, Marcus Stroman looked great. Again, Marcus Stroman doing Marcus Stroman things against poor teams. Six and two-thirds innings. Really wanted to get that seventh inning, but he couldn't do it. Joe Biagini came out and finished it off for him. Joe looked good uh, during that first game. So that was a plus. But yeah, Marcus Stroman, again, looks like he's put the injury issues behind him. He's dealing. He's doing whatever he wants. So I'm very happy with Marcus Stroman's performance there. I'm happy with the hitting performances that I saw. There were some good hitting performances. And and guys, working counts to get, to get on base. Granted, not hard to do against a White Sox rotation that is still young and still wild. Um, Reynaldo Lopez was bad. Lasted four and a third, giving up eight runs. The Blue Jays tagged him for five home runs, which was amazing. And just 
took C.B. Buckner completely out of the game. And on Sunday, you know, it, they didn't do it in time to get Ryan Barucki win, which Ryan Barucki, another great start, another quality start for him. Six innings, two runs allowed, struck out five. His ERA is 283, and he doesn't have a win. That is a crime. But the Blue Jays' bats woke up late and did what they needed to do to get him off the hook. Teoscar finally woke up with a with a solo shot, which is good to see because he's been just bad. Alemis Diaz had a pretty good series by his own estimation. He had a, the home run to take Barucki off the hook on Sunday. And he, you know... He's, he's not getting the playing time anymore. But if he can still come off the bench with some power, I mean, that puts the Blue Jays in a great position for the next season and the season after that because he's still controllable. He can still come off the bench. Um, the two big stories to talk about, though, from the series, and, and this is no slight to Russell Martin finally waking up at the plate or starting to wake up. His he's batting average is up to 182. I mean, yay. But first, let's talk about the newest Blue Jay in the lineup. That's Brandon Drury. Uh, started at third in game two and played second after uh, some issues that we'll talk about in a sec. Brandon Drury looked free. And I mentioned this on Twitter over the weekend, I was talking with uh, Mel Morales, who is a Yankees fan, but did that specifically for Drury and is following Drury now that he is with the Blue Jays. Morales said that since coming over from New York, Drury's looked like he's had a weight lifted off his shoulders. And, you know, going to a pressure cooker like New York will eat up a lot of players. But for Drury, who was suffering with migraines and then got sent down when Miguel Andahar took his job, it it was just a, a continual torment. So for him to be released from New York, it was good to see him start to produce almost instantly in Toronto. He had the big RBI double in the ninth inning off Jace Fry to kickstart the comeback on Sunday, which was great. And he's looked good defensively, too. He's showing some athleticism in the out, in the infield that the Blue Jays weren't really getting from Yanhara Solarte. And they'll play Solarte out there because they still like his bat. They still like the power swing. But this move reduces Solarte's workload back to being a part-time player, which is initially what he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be a part-time player and just come on and spell Josh Donaldson or spell Devin Travis and maybe DH or something. Just allow for flexibility. But he was pressed into that starting lineup, and you could see him just get more and more tired as the season went on. So to get Solarte on the bench and get his breath back a little bit will only help him. And for Drury, it starts to reestablish his value if he's going to be a piece of the Blue Jays for the future, or if they're looking to trade him, which who, who knows what the plan is. They do have too many in, infielders as it is. But we need to talk about the most important one, and that's Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Another amazing series out of him. <laughs> he had another eight hits in the series. It was eight for 15. He, oh my, he had like six RBIs 
He had the two home run game in the first game. Lourdes Gurriel is emerging before our eyes as as this cornerstone of the Blue Jays' offense. That seven-year deal he signed is looking brilliant now. Just what he's been able to do, the growth he's been able to put into the game as as he comes in. He's, he's still rough on defense, but he's learning defense. He's proving he can be an asset there. And then the bat is just so good. It's it's exactly what you want out of a guy who's going to hopefully be a utility guy for you. And it's exciting, which the Blue Jays haven't had in a while. To, to see a player like, all right, Lourdes is going to do something. We, we have to watch because he's he's going to make some play or he's going to hit the ball and you're going to want to see it. And the Blue Jays haven't had that all season. They had T. Oscar for a little bit. They had Solarte for a little bit. But there's been no guy like, I want to see this guy at the plate right now. I'm stopping everything and I'm watching it. That was Lourdes is the first one to be able to do that this season. Until he got injured late trying to break up a double play. Um, we have not heard from the results on his knee at this time. But it did not look good from what I heard. I, I full disclosure, I was not able to watch Sunday's game. I was helping my brother move because I'm a good sibling. And I'm the one with the car. And I thought those days were over, but whatever. Spent four hours, five hours moving all the stuff up to their new place. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, still haven't heard the results from the MRI at the time of recording. So we'll see just how bad the left leg is. Hopefully nothing more than than what they're saying it is, which is a knee contusion and an ankle sprain. Hopefully a week or two, because you, you don't want to keep him out for any longer than you have to, the way he's been playing. But from the report of Arden's Welling, he was in good spirits, didn't seem like it was that horrible of an injury. Probably not going to see him for for the Oakland series. I would be very surprised if he got back in, barring you know the MRI report. But it... It's still even even if he's out, it's still good to see for this this team again, and it, it'll help clear up the playing time in, in the immediate future. It'll get Brandon Drury in at third base a lot. It'll get you know Devin Travis and Yan Solarte splitting time. So I'm I'm not too worried about Lourdes Gurriel's injury from a long term standpoint. Definitely not worried about it from a short term standpoint because this year is already a write off. If you couldn't tell from the fact that the Blue Jays needed a comeback to beat the White Sox on Sunday, and the bullpen got demolished again on Saturday, these bullpen days are a joke. So let let's first let's say John Axford in his first career start was amazing. He did exactly what the Blue Jays needed out of him. He got three innings, gave up a single. Struck out three. He only needed 38 pitches. That's the kind of efficiency we have not seen from a Blue Jays starter in a long time. And, yeah, it was great. It was great, successful debut. And I, I'm so happy for John that he was able to do that. One of the nicest guys in the business. He deserves every bit of success there. But then Jake Petrica came in, and he gave up a solo shot 
which is all right. I mean, ground ball pitcher giving up a home run to his former club, whatever. But then Tyler Clippard was forced to go more than an inning. And he gave up two runs. And then things started getting dicey. And then Jaime Garcia came out. And he forgot how to pitch like he did against Minnesota when it didn't matter. And couldn't get a batter out. And then, sorry, Jaime Garcia got one batter out. Ryan Tapera got no batters out. Ryan Tapera was a joke on Saturday. He was all over the place. He plunked two batters. He faced five of them, didn't get a single out. Oliver Drake had to come in and bail him out, which this is the Oliver Drake that gave up three runs in the ninth and made that Friday game way closer than it should have. When you're getting bailed out by Oliver Drake, you know you've done something wrong. And it continued for Tapera on Sunday. Like, they they had to use him because no one else was going to be fresh. Like, Aside from Joe Biagini, there was no one else. And they already burned Luis Santos for another two innings, which I I don't know what to tell you about Luis Santos. It, it's not it's not working. It's not working at the major league level for him. He is he's just a four A guy. And there are a couple of those in the bullpen right now, and that's not great. But Ryan Tapera's just not looked good since being rushed back off the DL. And you would have thought, like, over the All-Star break, that would have helped him, you know, with the last bit of time that the Blue Jays really needed from him. But it's it's just not good. It's not good what he's been doing lately. You want to think this is just a slump or something, and now he'll get back to it. But it it's tough. It Especially with the talk of trading Osuna, that makes Tapera the default closer. If Tapera's not himself dealt, which he's got a lot of control... I wouldn't be surprised if they're taking calls on Tapera as well. The Blue Jays are going to try and get the best package they can get to put together in 2020 when they want to start competing. So I would not be surprised if Tapera's, well, he's not going to be moving anymore. And he has the rest of the year to figure it out. I don't think the Blue Jays are going to move him any more than they move Stroman or Sanchez. You're not getting top value for a guy who's under control as opposed to, unfortunately, a Roberto Osuna. But, you know, it's it's just a little worrying for a guy who's turned 30 this year and starting to see results deteriorate a little bit. I'm hopeful it's just, like, a, a single, like, span of, like, all right, just wasn't your series. We'll see how he bounces back if he's used in the Oakland series. But I need to see improvement from Ryan DePera. I need to see that old Ryan DePera who can, you know, bury a pitch where he wants and and get, like, those swinging strikes. Because they, they were not staying in the park in Chicago. So we'll see what that Oakland team does. An Oakland team that just got swept by Colorado. So they're either going to respond to it by coming out furious and trying to make up the lost round against Seattle... Or it's a team that got swept by Colorado. Let's see what happens there. Uh, if you want to see what happens with me when I'm watching the game tonight, or just my life in general, you can follow me on Twitter at NeoAC18. That's N-E-O-A-C-1-8. Very excited because I'm getting very close to 1,000 followers. And if if you talk to me when I started this this crazy experiment like on Twitter and, and in sports journalism, if I got to 1K, I mean, that's that's pretty good. 
I I won't complain about that. If you want to find people to help push me up to that 1K, please do so. Tell them to follow the podcast while you're at it at Locked On Jays. All the podcast links will be posted there. And also going to give a shout out to jaysfromthecouch.com because it's an excellent site for writing. I will be writing there at some point, likely after the trade deadline, just to kind of, you know, see where the chips lie, what the Blue Jays have decided to do. So look for something then. And yeah, I just want to thank you guys for, for listening to the podcast. You stick with me for the most part every day and I'm I'm pleased to keep bringing you the best Blue Jays coverage and analysis that I can and I will continue to do so at least for this foreseeable future so for everyone here at Locked on Jays thank you so much for listening to the Monday Musings edition I've been your host Ryan Andrews and y'all take care <laughs>